Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. It is Monday, June 8th. Hard to believe we're already racing through this summer and getting into it. Hope you're had a uh, your your summer is off to a good start. It's certainly, we got the longest days. I was noticing how long the days are here, and partly because of what's going to be happening in the markets. And today's broadcast, I'm you know I'm excited about every broadcast. As you guys remind me, you said look at you start off every day. I'm so excited about today's broadcast. Well, I really am excited about this broadcast. Because we have the spaghetti forecast. <laughs> That's what we're referring to. It's really an interesting forecast that we have coming out. Because we're going to be talking in this broadcast about what can we look forward to in the second half of this year. For those of you that get our email or an email blast about the broadcast, it's really titled, What Can We Expect? We're going to be answering questions is, where will interest rates be going and headed in the year 2015, second half. One, not this year, but the second half. Don't worry, this is this is June. You're not you're not listening to an early broadcast. What does the second half look like for interest rates? Will loan volumes be less if rates rise? What is the biggest threats to our industry in the next six months? What role will technology play? And even more in this ever increasingly more complex mortgage lending industry as well as loan origination channels. Which ones will grow and which ones will shrink? It's going to be good. we got our special guest and a dear friend of mine, Les Parker. He is back by popular demand. One of our listeners specifically asked to have Les back, and we're thrilled to have him back. So, again, this broadcast was created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress and Lending Innovation Award. So it's good to be here with you folks. Also, I want to acknowledge we have a very distinguished listener with us. Uh, he's not going to be on the broadcast. Hope to get him scheduled. His name is Tom Cloud. You can learn more about him by going to www.tomcloud.com. Tom is one of the foremost experts in investing in gold, silver, and precious metals as a hedge to our current economic environment. And there's some that think, no, the market's going up. Everything's coming up roses. And then there's others going, Mm-mm-mm, you better have a hedge on. Well, I encourage you to check out Tom's information. As many of you know, I create a podcast. And so uh, I am a podcast junkie as well. And I listen to the one of my favorite ones is Follow the Money, FTM, Follow the Money. Broad podcast, if you want to listen to what's going on, Tom as always has a short segment in that. Gives me insights to what's going on and what we see outside of our secondary marketing world, our capital markets world. So it'll be very interesting. Hope to have him as a future guest. So welcome, Tom and crew, for listening in. Honored to get to know you. Also want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, United Guarantee, who just happens to be the mortgage industry, mortgage insurance industry leader for consecutive years. United Guarantee's highest-rated GSE or government-sponsored enterprise approval. They are one of the most highly rated ones, if not the highest-rated GSE-approved mortgage insurer. Announced recently that the company will provide fully compliant PMIRE, P 
P-I-P-M-I-E-R-S, bad alphabet suit of, of our industry. Anyway, they'll be meeting all the capital requirements effective December 31st is what I'm trying to say. In a statement to their customers, United Guarantee said that they will be releasing their final P-M-I-E-R-S. I used to know what that was. Wrote it down one time, forgot it. Standards that gives them the entire mortgage industry confidence, will give us confidence that they will be here to pay all their claims. They're in good position to pay claims. And if you listen to some projections, there's going to be need to be paying claims. That's where the mortgage industry is headed. Well, I, I don't know. I've listened to both sides of the argument. That's really what we're about today. That's why we call this forecast today the spaghetti soup, because we're really going to get in and look at various the theories of what's going to happen, if this, then that, and vice versa. Also, a special thank you goes out to Velma, Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. They're so good about getting the notifications out about this broadcast each and every week, and we are so grateful to have them be one of our sponsors. Joe Farr, I am just had been such a busy morning. I haven't had a chance to really check your screen, but I just logged in, and looks like we got a little bit of rate improvement going here. So what do you got for us? Yeah, we're we're up today. We're not quite at the highs for the day, but uh uh we're up six thirty seconds on the day. No no economic news, so I think it's just a reversal of some of last week's uh big move uh lower, which I'll I'll talk about now 'cause uh it was a pretty ugly week. Uh we lost a point and Ooh. a half in price, about twenty a little more than twenty basis points in, in rate. Um and signs of an improving economic you know, improving economic conditions were part of the uh, cause of the move. Uh, be interested to get Les's take on this in the in the in the later part of it. But the market reacted to some pretty good economic data out of the U.S. Uh, starting on Monday when the ISM Manufacturing Index uh, came in. It showed a nice improvement, and then the construction and the construction spending uh, measure rose to the best level since uh, 2008, uh, and. Those were just uh, reports that kind of got the market moving in one direction. Then the jobs report came out uh, on Friday, and we all know it well exceeded expectations. Uh, grew at uh, 280,000 net new jobs. Uh, wages grew uh, a little faster than what had been expected at 2.3 percent. And uh, unemployment rate did go up, but uh, just a lot of people entered the labor force. So. And then last week, Europe was also part of the mover, uh, part of the driver for the move. And, and uh, well, not so much Greece, Dave. It, it was more the uh, the eurozone inflation measures. It uh, was oh, reported right. that yeah. it was it was it was uh, higher than expected. And and ECB President Draghi came out saying he fully expects inflation to continue to rise up to a, a very healthy level. You probably will remember that. Uh, much of Europe's been concerned about deflation, and so uh, you know this was a, a, a little bit of a surprise and caused yields to uh, rise around the world. Then uh, uh, Greece was in the news uh, uh, in a big way, but not so much uh, impacting mortgage rates in a big way. Uh, there was probably uh, about as much movement in one direction as the other. It did create a good bit of, of volatility. Um, but in the end, uh, I don't think it had a big effect on uh, on the move and the rates that we saw. Um, you know, this uh, hmm. this week Greece is going to stay in the market uh, as news. Uh, in the news. Uh, in fact, yeah. yeah in fact, this morning uh, a Greek official announced a willingness to compromise 
uh, about the same time, an ECB official. None of these are the are the headline guys, but uh, an ECB official came out in, in sort of a very uh, uh, hawkish tone, uh, saying, uh, you know, if Greece leaves, it's not going to hurt the eurozone; it's going to hurt Greece. And so, uh, there's some posturing going on, and we'll continue to see that. You you may have uh, heard, Dave, that the payment that was due from Greece on Friday has been postponed along with the other um, mid-June payments. Uh, all have been rolled into an end-of-June payment. So uh, the debt obligations aren't going to be a, a, a near-term trigger, and it gives both sides a little more time to compromise and to hopefully reach an agreement that, that doesn't disrupt the market too badly. Uh, you know, I was reading Alexis. I was reading Alessa's uh, uh, blog, and it says, do you know this is the first country since Zim- Zambia in the mm-hmm. 1980s that to defer payments to IMF? That was really an interesting little note that Les had brought out in his, uh, in his newsletter. So, so that's, right. it, it's really significant. It would be really interesting to get his perspective. Anyway, you're starting to talk about well, this uh, slide. Yeah, here. I was going to say, it, it, for some reason, uh, IMF – notes are are structured this way and people just never use the option but uh, uh Greece did yeah uh this week we have the big event this week's the May retail sales number it's scheduled to be announced on Thursday at 8:30 an increase if you measure if you look at the measure x auto uh they're looking for an increase of 7 tenths and this is going to be a big a big report. You know, we got the Fed meeting coming out the following mm-hmm. Wednesday, the Fed statement coming out the following Wednesday, and uh, uh, you know they're looking for strength in this retail sales number to sort of justify the strength that was seen in the jobs number. If it's not there, it can have a diminishing effect on the on the strength identified in the jobs number. If it does confirm that strength, it could uh, be taken pretty. Uh, to the heart as far as the Fed's concerned. Right. And next week we'll also have a jobs report on uh, tomorrow and, mm-hmm. and then PPI on Friday. Treasury auctions uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday Throughout with the, the tenure yeah. coming out on uh, Wednesday. So that's the report. That's the report, man. It's going to be interesting. I, the Greece thing has got my attention just from a standpoint of what is this, all the implications. Can't wait to get Les's commentary and all of that. And then, you know, there's all the macro issues, global macro issues that we get to listen to. And I encourage our listeners to go out to your website if they haven't already done so and subscribe to this service. It's one of the most valuable services that's up on my website. It's mbsquiltline.com. Check it out. Listen to this ad. We'll be right back with Paul Malo right after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteline delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline. Delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' Out Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. 
to have you back, everybody. We have on the line Paul Malo. Oh, let's just stop that music because sometimes the way this. By the way, I did get a notification from the Blog Talk engineers who we broadcast through, and they are saying that they do have some audio file issues. So if any of this is not working, I've reset the things they've told me to set, but we see those continue. It's the explanation for that. One of our listeners said, hey, Dave, you got some popping going on with your mic. So we've made some corrections. Hopefully that will all work. Uh, good to have you with us, Paul. Looking at your headlines, starting off with commercial commercial banks, and um, that that headline that uh, John wrote about their re- retreat from owning, you know, MSRs, I thought was fascinating. Yeah, listen, we've been covering this. We cover this stuff all the time. Uh, and I, one one or two of our competitors uh, may have had stories saying banks are out there buying MSRs. They're back, baby. Well, they're not back. <laughs> no, I mean, no, listen, I, you know, I'm looking at the you know, our, our ranking of the top servicers in the first quarter. And, you know, all of them had a, uh, you know, I'm looking at the top ten here, and I think uh, all of them but uh, two had declines. And uh, all the banks had declines. Um, so, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, what NationStar has been growing because they've been buying servicing. Uh, and, right. you know, there's there's a few other non-banks that have been growing I know through acquisitions, Pennymax had some nice growth in servicing. Uh, you know, PHH has sort of been flat or down slightly. So, you know, listen, I mean, the writing's on the wall has been. Banks are not going to be piling back into this asset in a major way, at least, you know, not from what we see and not from, you know, what I hear from uh, some of the servicing M&A guys I talk to. So uh, that's that's the trend, and it's not changing. Uh, the second story is uh, pretty interesting. Dave Stevens put out a statement on Friday, yeah. and um, we got a hold of it. Uh, I don't think it was widely circulated, uh, but he's, he's, you know, these two big LO cases, LO com cases, one was guarantee, which is guarantee mortgage, not to be confused with a guarantee rate mortgage, just guarantee mortgage, which is right. basically out of business. They agreed to, I think, a $200,000 plus settlement, but the big one was um, out in the West Coast where he had RPM Mortgage agree to a $19 million settlement for violating <laughs> yellow comp rules. Now, without getting into a long explanation, and, and these stories are detailed and can be confusing, you know, basically Stevens is out there you know, not commenting on the merits of the case, but basically saying, uh, you know, uh, the CFPB is given crappy guidance and then it's not helped, <laughs> it's not helped matters with their crappy guidance. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here greatly. Uh, and so it was nice to see him take a stand um, uh, for the industry against the CFPB. Uh, some people, you know, he's, I know he's, we get the sense sometimes that Dave's pretty tight with uh, the CFPB. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that's part of his job is to be tight with the CFPB. But, you know, at the yeah. same time, not be a cheerleader, but, you know, be a critical for his members, so uh, that was interesting. Um, Harvard Research put out a, a, a report on uh, basically saying non-banks have, uh, you know, added something to the to the business and, and that today's sluggish mortgage market would be uh, much less vibrant if it wasn't for non-banks. And, and you know, that's maybe that's pretty obvious to some, but not to all. Uh, we have an update on a company that we write about from time to time, interesting company called FCI Lender Services in Anaheim, California. They're a private money 
mortgage servicer, and their their growth has been pretty good. And basically, private money mortgages are those mortgages that individuals own on uh, that are backed by real estate. And I know Gordon uh, Albrecht there; he's an interesting fellow. He's always willing to share some of his numbers with us. So they're, they're, they've been growing pretty well. They're up to 3.7 billion. Again, this is private money uh, paper. A lot of it short-term paper. Uh, and then we have a, the last story on the regular feed. It's about the case. It broke late. It was late Friday with the Guarantee Mortgage Corp, which I mentioned. They agreed to two hundred twenty-eight thousand yep. dollars, but unfortunately, they're you know they're liquid, <laughs> they're liquidating. And the obvious question is, well, who's going to pay? And then I asked the CFPB, and they told me their owners. And then we have just um, some short <laughs> takes there. One of them is about B of A's laying off some workers in um, Rancho Cordova in California. Some of those guys are home equity lending workers. Uh, Ditex continuing to hire. They're owned by uh, Walter Investment. And one other interesting just appointment, which was wasn't a fresh story, but we we threw it out there because we had missed uh, we had missed reporting it in the first place. But Richard Green uh, from the University of Southern California has uh, been named a senior advisor to HUD, and that's interesting because HUD never put out the the announcement. It was put out by a private PR firm in the in the, in the college, and, and and basically HUD well told we asked them what happened. They said, well, it hasn't been announced yet. And we're like, well, it has been <laughs> it has been announced by the University of Southern California. Uh, he's a senior advisor to HUD, Richard Green, uh, of the Lusk uh, Center for Real Estate. Oh, the Lusk, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's that's all the news for today. Do a good job of covering it. I love how you write. I love your articles. You always just uh, – I think it's a relationships you have. You're able to pick up the phone and talk to such a diverse group of people across the country. And I know when there's an M&A story, you are on it because I know how often our phone rings with you trying to get information out oh, of Chuck yeah. and myself and – yeah, I love it. You do a great job. For those of you that have not subscribed to this newsletter, do so. It is valuable. IMFnews.com, www.i, as an in industry, M as a mortgage, finance, news, IMFnews.com. Great resource. Paul, thanks so much for being on the broadcast. Thanks for having have me. Have a great week. And look you too. forward to seeing you next week. Alice Alvey, so good to have you here always, and can't wait to get an update of what's going on. I refer to it as the stomach turns segment is sometimes when we talk about all the latest regulation coming at us. So uh, what do you got for us, Oh, that's funny. Well, you know, it's interesting because I listen to the balance between what Port's on where, you know, he'll pick up on uh, a lot of the news items and what's going on out there and the things they hear on the street, which I, I just love, that kind of, you know, man on the street, yes. Washington insider. I try to pull in the what we have to pay attention to in terms of our, our operations and what legislatively is impacting us operationally in sales. And then, you know, right after me, uh, you know, we've got Sam Garcia getting into the statistical side of it. And I think between the three of us, people get uh, a lot of depth. So I'm just trying to – we all try to balance not stepping on each other with the same topics. Sometimes we do, but I, uh, there's a little bit of a difference in – and how we, uh, what we see out of that topic. So I know um, Paul was just bringing up, uh, we talked a little bit about the grace period, if you can call it that, for the implementation of TRID, right? This was big news last week as people tried to kind of get a little bit of a handle on what does that really mean? Uh, we didn't get a formal extension. Uh, they're going to consider our good faith effort without any kind of formal undefined, you know, ending period. So I don't know if I have. 60 days or 90 days to try and get under control. I don't haven't talked to any of my clients yet who feel they feel any better or they're going to do anything any differently. 
So that's right. that for those of you out there going, okay, what do I do with this information? The answer is <laughs> don't change a thing. <laughs> right? Yep. Acting like August first is the date. Um, this is even there, there's no firmness to this at all. Whereas with you know, as you know, some of the respite twenty ten we had some firm, you know, real information we could work with. This has none of that. So uh, all your project plans need to stay on track and don't make any changes based on this. Um, and as I think uh, everyone's pointed out, and Dave Stevens too, is you know, the, it doesn't change a thing for the lawyers. So they still have the law to work with. Um, another area from a, a regulatory standpoint that I want to make sure uh, folks are watching, um, this was reported by Buckley Sandler. You know, they have the, the they report the House of Representatives passed Amendment H.R. 2578. Um, so this is going to be something very closely to watch because this is um, that it would prohibit the Department of Justice from using funds to prosecute and obtain legal settlements from lenders in other housing areas in discrimination suits based on disparate impact legal theory. Um, I've lived disparate impact in an audit and what this is like and trying to survive where a, a, a regulator comes in and finds that one loan that you they believe you should have done and they now go and it was a denied loan and the audit now comes in and goes and compares that to approved loans. And so basically taking a comparison of, well, you denied this borrower, and I'll just pick an example. You denied this borrower based on a certain credit characteristics, but this borrower over here was approved. And you literally go case by case. Well, okay, the one I denied was a 95 LTV. The house was falling down, and the borrower lied to us about rental properties, and the DTI was 73 versus the one we approved. Yes, their credit was similar, but it was a 50 LTV. The DTI was fine. I mean, you catch my drift, right? I mean, you're you're having Correct. to compare uh, why just the credit was maybe uh, similar but treated differently. And the only, you know, presumable way to think that if there was no logical reason, I'm not phrasing it the way it does in the law, but for those of us on the street, you kind of go, well, okay, that doesn't mean I treated this person differently just based on the credit. I had to go defend it. Um, and this process of if, if a loan was uh, denied and then approved on the same terms um, and the only difference was race, sex, and earth, ethnicity, or protected class, then was there disparate impact? So it would be good news for the industry if this could be um, prohibited somehow. I'm not sure how much that weighs. DOJ wouldn't be able to spend money, but there may be some other legal angle to that. So definitely watching to see if there's any fair, um, fair lending relief on that front because it's a very difficult one to enforce. Uh, last but not least, um, I do want to make sure everybody's keeping an eye on metrics for TRID and you're starting to calculate the cost of your implementation um, and make sure you look at some procedural changes to try and regain the leaking points. And what we've been finding in our lenders so far is the places where your process leaks, which Andy loves to, you know, he loves the metrics that can <laughs> find those. <laughs> so if you're leaking yep. in rate locks, <laughs> right, because you don't have Joe's service, uh, if you're leaking there, uh, that's probably also a leaking point for TRID <laughs> or a TRID problem. Uh, and that's one of the things we're right. starting to find as we go through companies' procedures. So that's my report for today, Dave. I'll flip it back to you and um, looking forward to talking with Wes. Yeah, I am, too. Looking forward to it. Good, good report, Alice. Thank you so much. Folks, stay tuned. We've got Sam Garcia, the Profit Doctor, uh, coming up right after the break. We'll be here and back. And remember, Les Parker, second half of the broadcast, coming up shortly. Be right back with you. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, 
Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Yep, it's uh, Give You the Edges, what you need, Indicom. Check it out, Al Salvi's website and all the services she provides, extremely valuable and essential in this market. Sam Garcia, it's good to have you with us. Always fun to get an update. Alice did a great job of telling you the balance, and that's why we have on this broadcast and some of the topics and the headlines you're covering for our industry. And uh, so give us your report. Hey, Dave, thanks for having me on. Um, we put out our first first quarter uh, mortgage origination survey, and what we found was that um, Wells Fargo maintained a spot as the biggest lender, mortgage lender in the business. Um, but some other interesting uh, insight was uh, that Impact Mortgage soared 106% from the fourth quarter of last year to the first quarter yeah. of this year, which was the biggest gain that we uh, recorded uh, for any lender. And we, we get about the top 25 or so. Um, and, of course, they made a, an acquisition recently, so uh, they're, they're actually – they picked yep. up quite a bit of volume from that. Um, among the top five – or the top ten servicers, five saw a decline in the size of their servicing portfolios. Um, we got the Labor Department report last week, and that indicated that mortgage jobs inched up 1% between March and April to 286,300, and those are non-bank mortgage jobs. So we do, of course, an analysis of market share data, and we're able to estimate that roughly 574,000 people were in the business uh, total, including banks and non-banks. Um, that included about 227,000 uh, mortgage jobs at banks and another 61,000 at credit unions. Hmm. FHA put out some uh, operational data. Uh, March, the number of loans that were endorsed by FHA in March soared 73% from February. And we had seen that the apps had been climbing, but we didn't see the increase until this last month. And that's a huge, huge jump. That's, that is. I wanted to mention uh, about the guarantee uh, mortgage settlement, uh, just that that was the sixth recent yield spread premium settlement that was announced by the Bureau. Um, so that's something that people need to keep in mind. Uh, of course, loan officer compensation is an issue there because that rule is in place. But you know, some of these settlements actually were from activities that occurred before uh, that rule went into effect. MGIC reported uh, they put out some operational data, and we went back and looked at the oldest data we have on MGIC, which goes back to 2009. It was the best month they've had since 2009, at least, and probably since at least 2008. Um, and in addition, uh, they reported the number of uh, delinquent policies was also the lowest since about 2009, based on the oldest available uh, data. Um, there was a there was a uh, I'm sorry, credit, uh, credit availability index that was released by the Mortgage Bankers Association last week. And that indicated that it was, you know, credit was a little bit looser in May. Uh, the index went up about 0.5%. 
Um, but one thing is that the index hasn't been this high since uh, early 2011, based on some historical graphs that we looked at from MBA. Um, but even with the gain, uh, the index, which was at about 123, is nowhere near the 880 level it stood at in mid-2006. So, yeah, yeah, things are getting a little bit looser, but we're nowhere near where we were pre-crisis. Um, the mortgage yeah. bankers also put out their uh, their profits report, and it showed that uh, the first quarter, independent mortgage bankers and subsidiaries earned 63 basis points in net production uh, per loan. And that's up from just 30 basis points three months prior. And actually, it was a negative eight basis points a year prior. And that, But the quarter-over-quarter quarter improvement was the result of secondary marketing gains, which leapt to uh, 211 basis points from 179 in the uh, previous quarter. Um, and then on that, in that same report, there's servicing information, and we found that uh, residential loan servicers lost an average of three basis points on loan service during the first three months of this year, um, which was worse than the uh, one basis point loss in the final three months of last year. And we looked a little closer and found that that deterioration was a result of losses on MSRs, which went from a 13 basis point loss to a 17 basis point loss in the most recent period. So uh, hmm. those are the highlights of the last week's uh, highlights. Mortgage Daily. Appreciate you coming on and talking to us as you do each one. Like Alice said, good balance between some of the other news uh, sources out there. You do a good job of finding some interesting data points. It's the data that you provide us that I think is so valuable. Appreciate you, Sam. Have a great rest of the week, and uh, look forward to having you back on next week, my friend. You too. You too. Thank you. All right. You betcha. For those of you hearing some of the audio issues, where uh, the engineers are working on that, so hopefully that will get all cleared up. Uh, Profit Doctor, good to have you with us. You're not in the office. You're on your cell phone, so I know you're with a client, Dave, and I appreciate you dialing in. I'm happy to be here, Dave. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Here, hear you now. Can you hear me now? Yes, in, yes we hear you, you well, know. even though you're out in the hinterlands of Texas. Well, to connect both what Sam said and Alice said, Sam talked about secondary marketing gains are up and basis points on volume are up. Both great news. That secondary marketing being up is really important because we've got to recover our compliance costs. We're going to have to make yep. bigger spreads. And the, the thing that causes the leakage, the thing we notice most about the surprise, where the gain go, is lender credits. So we've got to really monitor and watch our lender credits because those things can jump up and bite you and be a surprise. So today's mm-hmm. the eighth day, so you know what you're going to have by the eighth? You're going to have on your desk right now, if you're a manager of a mortgage company, you got to have your financial reports. So you can look at your bottom line compared to your volume and see if you're in line with what Sam just said, over 200 basis points in gain and north of 60 basis points on volume. You should know that right now. You should know your metrics, and you should be able to know what your cost for trade implementation is going to be as well so you can make sure you recover your costs. I agree with Alice. I certainly wouldn't expect TRID to be delayed. Got to be prepared. So this is yeah, it's, not good. it's good. good. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Real quick, because I know we got to get to Les Parker. Can't wait to hear Les talk about spaghetti westerns. And that is <laughs> that is we're we're almost to we're, we're at mid year. June thirtieth is mid year, and one of the things that it's really good to do is check your Humda data. People don't think about Humda until it's time to turn it in and it's all wrong. The thing that people miss the most, and Alice 
who I know have some thoughts on this. The thing that people seem to miss a lot that we're noticing is census tract data. They process the loan. A lot of the systems will auto-populate some of the uh, data necessary for the HUMDA report, but the census tract data is not necessarily always captured correctly. So I would suggest go out, go ahead and run a preliminary HUMDA report. Now, look to make sure your census tract data is updated, make sure your fields are being populated correctly so you don't end up with a big mess because we are responsible to get that stuff turned in on time and accurately. Last thing we want is to get hassled by the CFPB because we shot ourselves in the foot because when we didn't do something they told us to do. So yep. there you go, Dave. Can't wait to hear what Les has to say. Me too. I'm looking forward to it, but good report, Andy. I mean, folks, if you're trying to figure out where your bottom line is, you don't know what your numbers, and as we come up on the 10th of the month, just like you say, it's uh, it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock, whatever your period is for your kids. You want to say, do you know where your kids are? Well, we ask on this show all the time, do you know where your financials are? So if you'd have trouble getting those in a timely manner, you should have them by the 10th. You should have them done in by the 10th. That's impossible, hey, you might say. No, it's not. Get a, get a hold of Andy Shell. Yes. Hey, Dave, one other quick, real quick thought. Uh, Joe mentioned that, uh, Greece leaving the Eurozone is, is is a threat, and the, they're like, well, that's fine, because go ahead and leave the Eurozone. It'll be better for the Eurozone. That's kind of like when the University of Texas A&M left the Big 12 <laughs> and went to the SEC, yeah. and when they did, that they raised the IQ of both conferences. <laughs> now you're going to incite a riot. We better go back out to the other stuff. But thank you so much, Prophet Doctor. That's a, that was a thank good you. interjection. That'll get us in trouble with some some of the fans out there. But anyway, yeah, yeah, you, you're a dyed in the wool. Uh, you're a dyed in the wool football big fan 12. here. Well, so. We've got to worry about getting proper. Big big yeah, well, we'll we're, we've got some good stuff to, coming up this fall to talk about. It'll be fun. Folks, we're looking forward to get Les on. Now, Les sent me a little uh, a little music bite to really introduce this segment. So uh, to, let me see if this is going to be Name That Tune. See if you recognize this. All right, you all got it. I know you do. <laughs> when Les said, hey, Dave, play this in front of my segment, I just absolutely lit up with laughter. It just brought some uh, – it's so true because we have the good, the bad, and the ugly theme going on in in America and certain and the economy around the world. And we're really here to talk about this next year, and we're going to be answering questions regarding where the interest rates going to be ending up this year, what our loan volume is going to be, what are the biggest threats to our industry over the next six months. And then also the technology role. Les works for a technology company. Always interested to get his thoughts on that. Uh, and then also which origination challenges, cha- channels are going to be growing. We heard last week from Greg Murray, good broadcast. Go back and listen to that about the possibility, or not the possibility, but the reality that the wholesale channel is growing and back and doing well. So without further ado, many of you do not need to know who Les Parker is, but he is Senior Vice President of Loan Logics based there in um, the Virginia area, and we're thrilled to have you, Les, back on the broadcast. I think this is your fifth time being on the broadcast, sixth time, but anyway, it's good to have you back, man. Well, thank you very much. It's always good to be with you, Dave. 
I want to ask you this because, I mean, I got some insights, but tell our audience why you picked the, the theme, the music theme, the good, the bad, the ugly. Well, it's kind of bad when you reference that we're in Virginia when we're in Pennsylvania. Our headquarters is Trebos, well, Pennsylvania. But yeah, you know right, what? I'm going to let you off the hook with that. <laughs> well, I visited you in there. In, uh, I know. In, uh, I visited in, you all over the country. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like you know, it is interesting about there. the good, the bad, and the ugly. A lot of people know different Clint Eastwood movies, and he played Blondie. Really, he was the no main, no name per, uh, character in the in the trilogy. But at one particular scene, the uh, Union forces and Confederate forces are fighting over a bridge. And in fighting over the bridge, as you can just imagine Clint Eastwood's style from some of his many movies and famous lines, he he says, I've never seen so many men wasted so badly. And when I think of that line, it is, it's it's the futility in a lot of things that are going on. And in the midst of, we are in the midst of a, not civil war, but a global war over the future economic uh, policies in various different countries and among the central banks. And this transition is taking place, action or bad action. And so like um, the sadness that was around the uh, U.S. Civil War, there's a lot of fallacious arguments used, there's disingenuous numbers, as well as sound debate and solid facts. So I like to think of that quote of, I've never seen uh, so many men wasted so badly as say, I've never seen so many stats wasted so badly. Yeah. So we really, Dave, right now have uh, a stat war going on um, because there's different war in factions. There is no question that there are, and I apologize for the somehow I didn't get the phone muted out, so I got a little distracted right there. Uh, when you look at the the two warring factions, what are they today? Well, you know, you could look at economic thought, and there's certainly Keynesian, the Austrian school, free market. You could even look a little more narrowly at uh, monetarism uh, and by, by Milton Friedman, but Really, the big debate right now is inflation and deflation. What camp are you in? And do you think that we're in more of an inflationary environment that's just kind of underneath the surface, or do we still have more of a deflationary environment? Some people want to only use the word disinflation, meaning that there's really declines in inflation that gets close to closer to zero. Uh, but regardless... Which camp are you more in? Are we contracting inflation or even going to deflation? Or are we just on the cusp of inflation rearing its uh, head once again like maybe back we had it, uh, in the 70s? Well, and, you, you look at this. and I, go ahead. Well, go ahead. Sorry to let you finish your thought no, there. No. Then I'm going to toss the mic to Andy Shell and, and let him dive in on a couple of questions. Well, maybe I should give you quickly what I mean by the inflation camp and the deflation camp. But the inflation camp they kind of are viewing it as currently yields are, are real yields are negative because they view that underneath the surface is an inflation rate, and they think that inflation rates two to three percent 
that hasn't just fully materialized. So therefore, they look at the current yields in the bond market. You look at the 10-year, and the 10 years at you know it's just below two and a half, and they look at that and they say, see, if inflation's really at two or two and a half, then you're at zero or even a negative interest rate um, or negative yield. Um, that's if, if that's the case, then they would say that it's very much a speculator's market. Uh, one of the the added items here is they view that the Fed should be hiking rates and it should be hiking them sooner than later, and that the one of the reasons behind hiking is that you can slow down what's underneath. That's kind of uh, Fisher's view, and he's kind of influenced yep. uh, Janet Yellen towards that. So that's that's kind of the inflationary camp. There is one more thought kind of on that is some of the uh, big bond investors have even come out and said some similar things that, you know, credit really is lousy today. We really don't want to invest in these type of funds. In fact, uh, one uh, famous investor said, don't buy anything with a QCIP. And he also wow. would like to be able to short the German Bund but you really can't. There's a lot of mechanisms that make it difficult to short it. But uh, that's kind of the inflationary camp and the view of infl- uh, of investors with that view. Um, so so the, the deflationary uh, camp, I could spend some time there yeah. if you'd like. That's why, yeah, I would like that because that's got real interest to me. I mean, I'm, that's the one I've been paying the most attention to. And it's interesting that uh, we're hearing reports of inflation going on in Europe. So, yeah, talk about the deflation gap. Yeah, you know, that's ex- there's always these cross-currents, aren't there? And I thought Joe yeah. Barb uh, did a great job in recapping what was really critical last uh, uh, week was, in fact, the inflation numbers coming out of Europe. Um, when you look at those that are saying we haven't completely – finished the deflation game yet they're basically they're focusing on debt all you know if you cut through it all if you had to add public debt and private debt and sum those together and compare it against gdp those are the measures that they're looking at and they're saying we have significant drags on global growth and it's not going to be over anytime soon without some dramatic moves either collapses in certain currencies, uh, a significant austerity, dramatic increases in savings, or a significant improvement in income. So that's kind of their view. I have to admit I'm a little more in that camp. However, I've kind of blended the two, and I think we're going to be able to talk about that uh, a little bit later. Andy, I'd love to have you in on this discussion. Wow. Thanks, Les. Thanks, Dave. Goodness, so much, so much here. You know, as as a as a global economy, we've got to be able to move value around, whether you know it's it's euros or dollars or whatever the currency is. You got to be able to have the ability to exchange uh, value through exchange rates with currency. So, what role, Les, do you see exchange rates playing in this war you've explained to us now? Civil War reenactment of inflationary and deflationary outlooks. You know the question: how how do they interrelate? If you think of exchange rates, it's it's really one thing. It's all relative. 
And we have one king in the world, and that is whoever is the reserve currency. And the oh. dollar is overwhelmingly the reserve currency, overwhelmingly. But in 80 to 90% of all transactions are in the U.S. dollar. You have the vast majority of actual reserves set inside various banks, central banks and banks across the globe. Uh, it's set in, in U.S. dollars. So with, with that environment, it's very difficult for the dollar to collapse or to fall dramatically. Uh, people talk about it, but in fact, without some other currency coming on as a as a uh, investors to trust for uh, store and value or having enough securities to be able to store value, um, it's going to be difficult for major changes in the dollar. However, a lot of other currencies could collapse or devalue. If they try just on their own to devalue, like what Japan has done, all they do is they just shuffle the, the chairs. And that's why the net effect of just a weak currency approach doesn't doesn't play because the balance still has to be there. Some people call that the Nash equilibrium. If you want to go look that up, it's kind of difficult to understand that game theory. But among those that are not reserve currency, there has to be a sense, unless there's something fundamental shifts in their economy. And if a collapse in the currency occurs, then the, where the fundamental shift can be is that investors can look at it and says, ah, I have dollars over here or some other currency that has not lost as much. And now this particular country has gone through this significant change in its currency. I will come in now and buy these different assets that would be available at significantly lower prices and acquire those. That's what can happen with currency collapses. I, uh, the other item that can happen is you can have deflation of just the prices of items with no changes in their currencies can just decline. And that's what Europe has been seeing, that this softness in, in prices. So it is encouraging to see a little bit of an uptick in their inflation. However, it's really transitory. Um, you can't. You can't inflate. You can't use QE to create an artificial economy, and that's essentially what it does. The hope is the only hope in Q in quantitative easing is that you can defer the consequences to a later time and allow for health to come in to certain financial institutions, the banking system particularly, and that's really what Europe's trying to do. Can we defer the day of reckoning? by letting there be greater health in our banks. And if we can then have greater health, then we have spread the pain over a longer time period. Joe Farr, I want to come out to you, get to you to interject some questions into the mix here. It's just a fascinating discussion. I could spend a whole time on deflationary and the, the drivers of it. But, Joe? Make Take sure we got Joe. Floor. You got yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> all right, all right. I did it, it out. Again. Okay, so I I want to jump right into the good and the bad, the ugly, Les. And, sure. and of course, uh, uh, being an optimist, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about the the remainder of the the 2015 year uh, from a good perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I will tell you, 
um, when you hear my good, you're going to kind of wonder what my view of good is. So I'll at least tell you that good is being viewed in the sense that my forecast is still online. Um, so it, with that being said, when I share it, I actually still think right now, by the way, the range of interest rate is only 100 basis points in the 10-year. And we've been down just below one and a half. We're at just now, excuse me, just below, just above one and a half, and we're right now just below two and a half. So, and that's been the range for the year. Mm-hmm. Those extremes. So we're less than one percent. I'm looking for greater than two and a half percent range by for the year. So, which would imply that we're either going to have to get to um, about four percent on the ten year. Or we have to be go to a lower low than what we currently have and then reach uh, maybe a little bit lower high. And I still actually think we have a chance for a lower low, um, 1.35 to 1.15 on the downside, so 100 basis points uh, or more lower from where we are now. And I think by the end of the year, or probably in, in maybe even into early next year, we will get up to that 35 to 4%. So I'm looking at this good environment is that we will have some type of pricing restructure in different countries. And when that pricing, the re-evaluation of investments occurs, real money will step in and say, I'm willing to have a risk-on trade. That is, take on credit risk, take on other types of risk within a company, uh, country, um, some regulatory risk or whatever type of risk they are assessing. Um, and be willing to invest in equities or land or industrial properties or uh, in whatever the case may be. But it's significant increase in investment. A lot of cash sitting on the sidelines, trillions of dollars sitting on the sidelines. It's not being invested globally. How does it have to – how will it move out from the sidelines is if there's a repricing. That's what I'm looking for. If we get a repricing, then the repricing means rates are going to go a lot lower because there's deflation or currency collapses that cause the effect of a deflation for investors to have an opportunity. If that happens, then we will end up with this wider range of volatility. We will get a rapid increase of investment, which will spill over to higher rates. That's so less good. What kind of what kind of event causes? What you're talking about. I mean, what what do you see as a thing to, for for people to really be kind of focused on? Um, that is a interesting question. I actually think it's going to be the Fed tight. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's what be I was wondering. Yeah. And what's interesting is most people think that when the Fed tightens rates, that means long rates will be going higher. And yeah, I, I don't think, think so. If I think it will be the opposite effect, and I think um, it will be opposite effect if there hasn't been the other events like Greece exiting the EMU or a currency collapsing or something like that. I think that the Fed tightening could actually usher in some currency collapses, particularly in emerging markets. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. It's interesting, and that's what I've had the feeling for as well. So you've talked about the good. Uh, what in the world is the bad, and is that what we're just alluding to? Yes, I was – no, I, the, the 
the bad is actually good, and the and the good is bad. So I just, just not <laughs> well, to confuse that's, you that's at all. Understanding. I, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people think that uh, mediocrity is good. I'm not one of those. So in the in the in the bad scenario, essentially you continue to have this nothingness that we've had for uh, a number of years. Um, it's actually 27 years, the bulk of it. But in the, since the financial crisis, we've essentially had this deterioration or this movement towards absolute zero, if we want to bring in some chemistry terms. Um, this movement towards lower and lower economic. In my mind, the bad is we continue that. And that means the Fed does nothing. The ECB continues to do its uh, QE. Uh, QE. Global growth continues to be sluggish. Investors don't buy in uh, to the various different plans, that, um, if, whether it's fiscal policy or monetary policy, is trying to stimulate investors to do things. Investors are going to do something if prices <laughs> change. If the prices don't change, they're not going to do anything. They're going to just sit there and look for the opportunities. So I think if that happens, the Fed does nothing, the ECB continues to do, which both those right now is what – the pat looks like it might be in the remainder of the year. Some people have thought it was going to be the Fed tightening in September. Then it went, got pushed out into maybe 2016. Now it might come back into the September number. Um, the uh, the IMF is saying they want to see it happen in 2016, so they're asking the Fed, please, yep. please stay on the sideline. Um, so if we get that, you'll actually get this sluggishness and nothingness. And in a certain sense, mortgage bankers will do okay in that environment. Um, but I actually think it will be a creeping up of rates, and that will shift uh, this little mini um, refi boom that we've had, go back to just uh, to a lower ratio of purchase. refis and a higher ratio of purchase. Yeah. And I Before do believe we're that, that at the uh, Greece won't exit, won't exit the market. So you believe – oh, really? You believe Greece will not exit? Hmm. Very good. Yeah, I do believe Alice, that I wanted- in – my scenario, they wouldn't. If they do, by the way, I think it's a very, very good thing for the for the EMU, and I actually hope they do, but I don't think they will. Oh, that's interesting. I want to could dive into that topic forever. Alice, wanted to let you get in a couple uh, question or two here. Go ahead. Well, it was just I think we were just getting to the ugly, right? So we did the good, the bad, <laughs> and right there you were talking about the ugly, right? So is that the end of yes. the spaghetti forecast, I guess? Is what yes, <laughs> I guess so, Alice. I, you know, what's interesting is that in the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the original movie, it was going to be the good, the ugly, and the bad because that's how you literally translate the Italian. And so I've gotten a little mixed up here today, right? I've been kind of telling you that good is bad and bad is good and ugly is pretty. Um, But uh, it's really just because I've got too much Italy on my brain. I I was in Italy in September of last year, and I just came back from Italy last month. So I think I've just been spending too much time there, and that's why my my mind is all mush. So maybe people are enjoying the spaghetti. But here's the ugly. The EMU shrinks. (laughs) I think if the EMU does in fact shrink and that the Greece exits, which I think will be healthy for the euro, because it will send the message that there really does need to be uh, economic cooperation among the countries within certain bands. Now, that could be very negative because then they'd say, oh, well, what about France and what about Portugal? What about Spain? Well, some of those countries have been making some progress, but I think it will really show – 
that the only way it really survives is if you have every member be operating with those in those bands. If that happens, there's a good chance the euro could start screaming to the upside. If that happens, then the dollar would suffer. If the dollar suffers, then we'd actually see some rising of oil prices. Not as much because of some fundamental things, but just because the oil does trade in U.S. dollars. I mean, that's the dominant currency for the U.S. dollar. And if that happens, we could see rates go up to 3.4% in fairly short order, and the low of our 1.64 is set for the year. This would be a when you're talking about U.S. rates, my first forecast. Go ahead. Yeah, but listen, when you're talking about U.S. rates going to 3.4%. Translate that into mortgages. What's the spread you see? That's on the tenure, um, right? Oh, that's where not you see fair mortgage rates to me uh, at the at, at <laughs> spur of the moment like that. Um, well, where are we right now for mortgage rates? So we're at four, more or less. Alice, almost just Joe? at we're knocking knocking on four. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joe, four. there's a little rally today. Yeah, a little above four. So, you know, if you say it somewhat stays in a constant spread, then that would put it over five percent. Well, that's um, if we see the spreads there, that would be interesting. So, if you know, in, in these scenarios, if you were you're advising a lot of people on what to do, you've got a great technology company you're associated with, you've got a lot of numbering pieces of that, which is Dialex being one of them. How would you say here for to plan the rest of your year, you need to plan for wholesale, retail, correspondent. And then it sounds like more purchase. I mean, what quickly? Just your your as we run yeah, out of time, you know, you're looking at the clock. We have we have fun with the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have fun with different economic uh, outlooks and how that translates into interest rates. But for a solid mortgage company to advance its plans, it needs to be saying where do they think the opportunities are long term, regardless yes, of that's the direction of rates. And one of the biggest things is that it, we're moving into a purchase environment. And in that purchase environment, how will the customers be obtained? And the more recent models of direct-to-the-consumer that was largely for a, large, for a lot of people was for the refi platform is actually becoming right. now also for the purchase platform. And you look at some, now who are who's in the top ten of originators in the country that are non-banks, and you can see that the direct-to-the-consumer models are the ones that are taking over. I think that's what's going to continue to advance. It will be big, the uh, the NY Quitman Loans and the uh, Loan Depots and others like yep. that are going to be taking uh, more. So mortgage bankers need to know, how am I going to compete in that space? They need technology. Now they'll need front-end technology. Some great people I've known in this industry are trying to make some significant headways there, not be locked in the legacy of uh, the LOS past. Um, and that's a, but that's a real challenge. I mean, that's, that's, its legacy is what LOSs are all about. Um, what we are able to bring to the table, and what we've tried to do, is allow people to have, as what uh, the profit doctor was talking about earlier in the broadcast, is how do you maximize more from your uh, service or from your uh, secondary marketing trades, whether it's on the servicing right. side and better value or whether it's on the actual execution. I think to do that, we need to have inspire greater confidence. Fannie and Freddie are leading that way and saying we've got to have quality. 
they want it to be to 100% uh, quality. I just think if we can get to three sigma, I'm really happy, which would be uh, 99.7, or if we just kind of, for marketing's sake, call it 99% uh, confidence in data. If we can move to the 95 at two sigma to 99, three sigma in data, that will bring about a lot of real positive things for our industry. We are enabling um, our customers to do those type of things. They have great processes. They have some edges that they have on what they see against the competition. But at their core, they need technology that has quality built in, and we've tried to bring that. Um, and that's where we're really making uh, headways and making a major announcement next month concerning that area. Yeah. I can't wait to hear that major announcement. Have some insights into it. Mm-hmm. You know what? A lot of people are texting me and getting. It says I got to talk to Les. How can I talk to Les? So give them your contact information. How is it that best people? That was the best way for people to reach you, Les. Yeah, they'll just go to loanlogics.com, and that's L-O-A-N, not L-O-N-E. I've had some people spell it that way. None <laughs> in the mortgage industry. But it's loanlogics.com. If they'll go there, they can find out everything. They can find me. They can find the newsletter, our blogs. They can find information about our products and services. And uh, above all, they can find a connection. They can find a connection to our salespeople that will listen to them. We oftentimes say no to a relationship, not because we don't want customers, because it's not right for the people we're talking to. But if it's right for the people we're talking to, now we have a way that we can build a strong partnership. That's what we're interested in, listening to our customers and aligning the technologies the right way for them. Yep, it's Loan Logics, L-O-A-N, Logics, L-O-G-I-C-S.com. Check it out. Get a hold of Les and ask him your questions. Check out his latest blog. You can go to http colon forward slash forward slash Blogics, B-L-O-G-I-C-K-R-S, dot loanlogics.com forward slash the good, the bad, and the ugly on future mortgage or future market conditions. I know you have to go back and listen to that. Put hyphens between each one of the the good, the bad, the uh, ugly, and uh, on the future. So you go check it out. It's there in their their blog. You can check it out at their website. Folks, or write me, and I'll be happy to send it to you. I'll also put it up on their website. Good to have you with us, being with us each and every week, telling others about it. Next week we have Glenn Corso, who's going to be our guest. He is with the Community Lenders uh, Group, and we're going to be talking about some of the latest trends. Again, we heard what's going on in the uh, the sector as it relates to wholesale. Glenn's going to give us some insights into what's going on with uh, some of the independent mortgage bankers. It'll be a great broadcast. He, too, has been a regular on the broadcast in the times past, and we're looking forward to having him back. Les, good to have you with us. Again, special thank you goes out to Alice and Andy and Joe for their participation each and every week, helping this be the way you, our listeners, stay up on all that's going on. Have a great, blessed week, everybody. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Elvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening. 